Welcome to another episode of Around the League. Your boy Tuan, joined by my co-host and good friend Nav. Talk to me, baby. What's going on? Tuan, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. You know, the weather's keeping me busy. It's been really nice and warm outside. So trying to, you know, be more outdoorsy and active, even with, with what's going on right now. What about you? Yeah, loving this weather, man. We had a great weekend. Uh, probably played around three rounds of golf now in the last week since the courses have been open. So uh, definitely been enjoying that. Definitely looking forward to the store to reopen, don't get me wrong. But in the meantime, while we patiently wait, been getting some golf in. Um, other than that, man, just been reflecting. A lot happened one year ago today. Uh, we celebrated the wedding of our good friend Jordan and Chris. Had a phenomenal time. I was scrolling through a lot of those pictures with you guys earlier today. Uh, just hilarious, hilarious times. And, uh, you know, icing on the cake. One year since the Raptors advanced to the finals. And, Tuan, I was I looking at a video. I was looking at a video of you and I uh, later on in the night, still buzzing off the fact that we made the finals. We're chugging some champagne and just looking at the camera going, finals, finals. <laughs> yeah, shout out to... Uh... Justin Thomas really uh, sh show, showed his true colors that night. <laughs> what do you mean? Just the, the best performer that night, you know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, speaking about golf, um, what were your thoughts on the charity event that happened yesterday? Did you watch the whole thing? Yeah, man, it was awesome. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was a lot better than the initial year. Uh, they definitely learned from some of their mistakes. Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley, those guys were hilarious with their commentary. Yeah. I thought the trash talk was on point between Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. I thought they did a really good job of going back and forth with one another. Uh, the weather didn't play out the way that it probably should have. But, I mean, Tom Brady was taking a lot of heat at the beginning of that match. I hadn't tuned in until like the eighth or ninth hole. And by that time, memes were already on Instagram about how yeah. this guy's performing. Um, <laughs> which kind of sucks. I think like the, the match is kind of flawed in that way is golf is so hard. It's probably like the hardest sport you could play in my opinion. And, uh, just to have a guy that's probably so focused on football right now, probably not playing a lot of rounds and to just throw him into a, into a match. I'm sure he played a round or two before, but like golf's that one sport where you could just self explode, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He, he didn't play too well in the first few rounds or... Yeah, first few rounds, but um, he played a little better uh, in the the back nine. Oh yeah, he, I mean he uh, he drained a, a hundred and sixty yard shot, hold it, and yeah, then ended up hitting like a thirty foot putt as well. Yeah, yeah. So the guy's like, pretty good. My only suggestion for the following year is there's some athletes out there that like they're well known golfers. Like they got to get Steph Curry. He's a scratch golfer. I feel like he'd be amazing to see. And just like a guy in that on that level, you know. Who's another um, athlete that's a really good golfer? I know I, I knew Steph was a has always been a really good golfer. He's played a lot, uh, but who else is a decently good golfer that isn't a professional? I mean, Andre Iguodala supposed to be pretty good. Um, Michael Jordan. Imagine they got Michael Jordan <laughs> on this thing. <laughs> Crazy, man. Yeah, even yeah. That's 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 a cool that. Uh, that all these guys are just, yeah, pick up another sport. And yeah, imagine if MJ was a part of any of these charity events. That, that oh, would be insane. It'd be next level. Yeah, did you um, see the news with everything that happened in Toronto? Obviously, the, uh, the Trinity Bellwoods Park and everything that escalated on uh, this past weekend? Yeah, I mean, you, you couldn't see a patch of grass in any picture like it was just covered with people it, it kind of blew my mind man I didn't know that it was that bad until I kept I kept seeing like more pictures I'm surprised it wasn't heavily enforced earlier you know I'm surprised they got away with that yeah I was I was watching um some of the news clips of and they were interviewing some of the neighbors that lived in that in that area and they had a bunch of drunk people just piss on like their the side of their homes just because there's no public washrooms in that area and when you have that many people trying to get out and, you know, trying to itch that scratch of being outdoors, um, it kind of led to a really shitty situation for 
for some of their neighbors. Yeah, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But when you look at what's going on in the States and like Huntington Beach, a lot of those beaches in California, a lot of the beaches in Florida, uh, it was a similar reaction as soon as they announced that, you know, people could go out again. Would have been nice if we had that foresight or if they had that foresight to sort of have it enforced uh, prior to announcing public gatherings. But yeah, it was a shit show, man. And uh, I hope we don't get any setbacks because of this. Yeah, so I, I saw that picture. Uh, of, of the gathering at uh, Bellwoods, uh, and then I had plans to go to Victoria Park, so I'm like, I'm like, shit, like I really hope it isn't this crowded, because uh, Victoria has Victoria Park has that big field by by that big clock, um, near the bus station, so I was expecting like a huge crowd there, but actually when we, me and Jackie got there, it was actually really nice. We were able to uh, uh, take camp like right in the middle. There weren't that many people there, and we were just able to chill and. Uh, like throw up the frisbee around, so um, that was that was really nice to be there, actually. Yeah, Waterloo Park was the same. Like you could count the number of people on, like on the grass, on you know maybe two hands. There wasn't that many people, but yeah, that's what you get in downtown Toronto. Like the demographic, it's probably from twenty-five to forty average age, and you know everyone thinks they're bulletproof, or everyone's rationalizing, like you know if I get it, it's it's not going to kill me, sort of thing. So when you got like a mass group of people with that mentality, I mean, all hell breaks loose, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, living there for the last few years, I definitely know what you mean. And yeah, having our friends live there too. They're, they're the ones reporting to us and showing us all these pictures and videos. So a little surreal, but yeah, man, everyone's just trying to get out, especially in the summer with this weather now, especially with the harsh winter that we had too, so. Yeah, I mean, I can't put myself in, that, in those shoes because I don't live there, but if I lived alone downtown Toronto, and I'd been self-isolating for, you know, X amount of weeks, and then I finally get the green light to go out, like, I probably would have maybe done the same thing. I can't say I wouldn't have, but kind of sucks for everyone that's been taking this seriously, and then you got a bunch of idiots uh, going to the park and sort of potentially making matters worse long-term. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next week if they report, like, higher numbers <laughs> spiking up after after everything, but... We went on to, you know, on to what we want to talk about. Um, so kind of just going off of our last series, which were the NBA playoff predictions. Um, we thought it'd be fitting to do a NBA awards um, that may or may not happen um, for the actual NBA season. So we thought we'd, you know, list off some of the awards that are tradi- traditionally uh, voted on by the media or the media del, as you would call it, and um, give some candidates for each award, and then just say who you think wins, and maybe give a reason why um, why you believe that. Okay, so these are the awards that we're going to go through. Uh, we'll go through the sixth man of the year, uh, rookie of the year, coach of the year. That was an easy one. Uh, most improved player of the year, defensive player of the year, um, MVP, and then we uh, could list off a few of the uh, players on the first, second, and third team All NBA. All right, how does that sound, Nav? Sounds great. Cool. Okay, so I'm gonna just go um, start off with the least exciting award, which would be the Sixth Man of the Year award, and the three candidates in this one: uh, Lou Williams, Dennis Schroeder. And Montrez Harrell. Um, hoping that you have one of those guys as a winner. So now, who do you have as your sixth man of the year? Yeah, I would have agreed. All three of those guys, definitely the candidates. And my sixth man of the year for the 2020 regular season was Dennis Schroeder. And pretty much because he was averaging just about his career high coming, out, coming off the bench in shorter minutes and uh, like I've said so many times on this podcast before, that trio of players have been killing guys all regular season. And I just really respect how he sort of bounced back. Playing alongside Westbrook last year, the year before, I had high hopes from him. For, from him. And, you know, he played so well in Atlanta, and I thought that him and Westbrook would be would be a nightmare for a lot of teams and didn't work out that way. And then, you know, his career, you would have thought maybe would have started to fizzle. 
And instead, he sort of revitalized his game and started becoming really, really productive off the bench. So I was surprised. And just to see him finish games with OKC, uh, get them to the fourth or fifth seed in the West, in a tough West, um, I think you got to give him a lot of credit. My runner-up for this award was definitely Lou Williams. And for obvious reasons, I mean, when Drake makes a song about your six-man accomplishment, you're forever immortalized, right? So uh, he's always going to be a runner-up for six-man. Uh, good point on the Lou Williams thing. But I also have Daniel Schroeder uh, being the sixth man of the year. Um, I think he's doing, yeah, just a great job of revitalizing his career with, with OKC. Um, I think Chris Paul being on that team definitely helps him and SGA a lot, as you can learn from, obviously, a uh, Hall of Fame point guard, uh, one of the best to ever do it. Uh, so I think, you know, this is another good stepping stone for him as a player. And maybe he can become a, you know, a perennial sixth man of the year or step up in a, a starter role for OKC as they uh, continue to really rebuild or um, build on their team that they have because they have so many valuable assets uh, moving forward. And my runner-up uh, was Montrez Harrell. Um, maybe this is just voters fatigue because... Lou Williams has won it last two years, has won it three times in his career. And Harrell is just kind of a, yeah, another guy that brings so much energy off the bench uh, for the Clippers. And he's scoring career highs uh, across the board. And another big guy that's going to have a really big impact. Um, like I said, similar before uh, to Ibaka on the Raptors, who's going to give you that defensive presence and kind of come up with those big boards and that hustle play that you'll need um, late in games. So cool that we have both of those. I think the next two or three awards may be um, similar in, in terms of the winners, but uh, let's move on to the rookie of the year. Um, really only two candidates. Uh, we have Jaw, the second most famous Jaw Morant, and the runner-up, uh, and Probably would have been the rookie of the year, not for if not for some early injuries. But Zion Williamson, uh, you know, two super exciting young players that are going to be uh, part of the the NBA stardom for the next several uh, several years. And uh, really, depending on injuries, uh, these two guys will be electric players to watch out uh, on their respective teams. So, Nav, who do you have winning rookie of the year for this season? My rookie of the year was John Morant, just like you said. You know, he's, according to Bleacher Report, I think, they were saying he's the only rookie to average at least 20 and 8, um, other than Oscar Robinson and Trey Young. So he's been balling out of control all season. And he's quickly made himself one of the more exciting players to watch in the league. Like, I wanted to go see him March 31st at Scotiabank. Um, he was, and I didn't go to any live games all year. You know, he's the one guy that I really wanted to see firsthand because you don't know what you're going to get from him on any given night. He's kind of like, he, he reminds me a lot of, he's got Vince in him, he's got Derek Rose in him, and he's got a little bit of Dwayne Wade in him too. Um, the type of player where you kind of worry about his longevity, but he's very fearless around the, lead, or around the rim. And I, and I love watching guys that are, that are fearless around the rim. Um, and who would have thought Memphis, you know, according to the standings now, who would have thought Memphis was going to be a playoff team? I think that a lot of their success, um, they have a solid team around them, but, you know, a lot of their success is John Morant. And I think that the case is definitely uh, supporting him. My runner-up actually wasn't Zion because, honestly, I, I'm a big proponent of eligibility due to the amount of games played. And don't get me wrong, Zion has got the potential to become a Hall of Famer. He's got the potential to win a bunch of NBA awards throughout his career. But I think like it was something like if he were to play every regular season game up until the point that he uh, started playing, it was going to be like 35 games. And I just don't think that's enough in an 82-game in an season. And I'm sure a lot of those games were going to be like maintenance games where he wasn't going to play because they just want to be cautious. So uh, don't get me wrong. you know This would definitely be a John Moran versus Zion Williamson uh, argument. Uh, just, but the sample size isn't there for me. I was going to give the runner-up, and you know, I think the rookie class was kind of weak this year. I was going to give the runner-up to Kendrick Nunn uh, just because he he played a pretty significant role 
for Miami. Super streaky player. Um, you could probably throw in another guy in there, but you know Kendrick Nunn came to mind. I really respected his game, watching him play a little bit this season. So, yeah, not Zion Williamson. Kendrick Nunn. Well, I'm, surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised that you didn't have uh, Terrence Davis as your runner up there, buddy. Giving a going far left there with the the Kendrick Nunn prediction. Okay, dude, t- cool. so- put Ken- put Terrence Davis in there for sure. Okay, Terrence Davis. Now that <laughs> I totally forgot about that. He doesn't play like a rookie though. That's the problem. He seems like a yeah. little two or three year player. Yeah, because he's like 24, man. But <laughs> uh, so, yeah, for for my, for my rookie of the year, um, yeah, I think it's unanimous. Really, is uh, John Morant here? Um, he's done a really good job replacing. Um, a grizzly icon in Mike Conley and leading this team again to to the eighth seed and they're so young they have Jaron Jackson, JV um, uh, just a bunch of other young guys that that you know like Dylan Brooks and guys that you aren't really expecting to uh, perform at the level that they're at right now but I think Jaw makes a lot of that happen um, he he reminds me of Westbrook in, type, in terms of like explosiveness if he gets one dribble past you, he's going to go off two feet and try to dunk over you like he tried to do with Kevin Love. Uh, and that would have been the dunk of the decade if that happened, you know. So um, he's super exciting. And then, again, my runner-up, uh, I picked Zion, even though he only played 19 games. This kid was averaging 24 points per game under 30 minutes with like a minute restriction. So uh, you know his impact is going to be, be there if he's able to stay on the floor. Um, but I no honestly I like your your um, your pick with Kendrick Nunn. Um, definitely a kind of an unsung uh, role player that's been doing his role with the Heat. Probably the third best player on that team uh, for, for the season, and that team's overachieving and uh, really making a a run in the playoffs uh, or towards the playoffs. So I really like him as a player too. Was he was he undrafted? Yeah, he was undrafted. Was he, he was undrafted, right? Yeah, that's a great pickup for them. That that's basically the same, like the equivalent of like a Terrence Davis for the Raptors. Uh, but I think like probably a little better. Like Terrence Davis was like on and off here, but I think Kendrick Nunn's been consistently um, playing playing really well for the Heat. Yeah, he's a little more refined. Yeah, he's kind of got that jumper down. Uh, Terrence Davis is so athletic. Got a little bit more uh, work to do with them on the development side. I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. On to the third award, and I don't think we are going to get off track here because I think we're gonna be on the same on the same page here. So, Coach of the Year, I have the three candidates in Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies head coach, um, Eric Spolstra, Heat's head coach, and then Nick Nurse, uh, Toronto's very own. So, Nav, who do you have as the winner for Coach of the Year? For so many reasons, I'm going with Nick Nurse. Uh, Nick Nurse went from inheriting a strong team and winning a championship to having to completely redesign his offense and defensive approach. And a lot of people consider this his true coaching test. And I think he knocked it out of the park. Um, When they lost Kawhi and Danny Green, they essentially lost like 30, 40 shots a game. Um, They just became available like that. And somehow he figured out how to get the right people into spots and make up for those um, for those shot attempts. And uh, just when you thought that he figured it out this season, that whole team was plagued with injuries. Pascal and Lowry both missed over 10 games. Gasol and Ibaka have been injured for as long as I can remember. But somehow, this guy has been stringing wins with Rondé, Boucher, like we just talked about, Davis, Fred Van Fleet, and... I mean, a lot of teams are giving Miami and Memphis credit for how they've developed youth. But I think that the Raptors, led by Nick Nurse, have done that on a completely different level. Because sure, those teams are winning games. But not only are the Raptors winning games, they haven't really skipped a beat from last year. You know, they're not only second best in the East. uh, They got the third best record in the league. And they're a top three defense in the league. So somehow, someway... They are exactly where they left off without a superstar, but uh, playing at an extremely high level. And I think it all comes down to the coaching wizardry of Nick Nurse. Not to mention, you know, night in and night out, you don't know who's going to be the last five guys on that Raptor team. 
their roster has looked different this entire year. And still, you know, second in the East. I think that goes a long way. Runner-up yeah. for me, though. Runner-up for me. Um, it was Eric Spolstra, but, I mean, with Jimmy Butler, who we both talked about is, you know, a very decent player, I did expect the Miami Heat to be somewhere between five and seven. But, you know, they're finished fourth with home court advantage. I think that's definitely something to be proud of for them. But I would have actually given Coach of the Year, if it wasn't to Spolstra, or sorry to Nick Nurse, probably would have given it to uh, Billy Donovan or Tyler Jenkins. I think that the conference that they play in is just a little more competitive night in and night out. And for Oklahoma City, with the uh, mixed bag of assets that they have, for them to finish fourth or fifth in the West, I thought was um, a greater accomplishment, in my opinion. Uh, Tuan. Man, I hate to have to agree with you on everything you said there. Yeah, Nick Nurse, obviously the runaway winner of this award, second-year coach. He had, a, he had a legit chance last year. If Again, if the Bucks didn't you know, um, blow this league out of the water last year with, with their play and their surprising uh, record from last year, um, he, he could be a back-to-back winner, um, especially with last year, Kawhi, and all the games that he missed, and now this year without him at all. Um, they were on pace to win 59 games. Again, same same record as last year, uh, taking away really a pre- like a MVP candidate, and like like you said, they're bringing guys from the G League off the bench, starting Terrence Davis, Boucher's had some starts, and they don't skip a beat. Um, yeah, just a what, what a what a master master job that he's done, like a master class job that he's done uh, so far this season, and. Um, I think that has to also, uh, you have to attribute a lot of that to Kyle Lowry. He's really like a coach on the floor. And he's he's similar, similar in a sense where um, he's like Chris Paul for OKC. And like you said, Billy Donovan being a, a candidate for this award. I think when you have a guy that's able to, to be on the floor and kind of be another voice and uh, be that voice where you can calm, calm a team down, you can kind of navigate the waters and... Uh, control the pace of the game and have Kyle Lowry or um, a Paul, a Chris Paul uh, leading your team. You're always going to be able to win, um, and you're going to be in close games. And that's what happened with the Raptors and OKC this year. Uh, they both have those guys that are, are taking the charge, and those guys are legit All NBA players. And I don't think anyone would have really expected that um, uh, for, of them this year. And I think they they really reflect the personality of the coach. And I, I have Billy Donovan as my runner-up for, for this award, too, just with the job that he's done. Um, Eric Spolstra, again, probably the third coach up there uh, with, um, with the great play that he's been able to get from his young guys. I think that that's a, that's a big tell of how your, the team culture is and the way that the coach is able to communicate and um, get, get the best out of, out, out of those young guys, especially undrafted guys and late second round picks and even a guy like Tyler Harrow who has that, you know, has that personality become a really good player. You just have to put him in the right situations. And I think uh, Spolstra has done a really good job of that. So, yeah, no, I've got to, I got to definitely agree with that. The one thing I love about Nick Nurse is the buy-in that he's getting from his players. And I think, like you said, a lot of that probably has to do with the buy-in from the vets like Ibaka, Lowry, uh, Van Fleet, uh, Norm, but the fact that he just coaches with such confidence and that one situ- like the one example that I just love bringing up doesn't have anything to do with his candidacy. But uh, when he called out Terrence Davis and he said, um, you know, he played eight too many minutes that one game <laughs> and then calls him out on, on live TV. But then the next game starts him and Terrence Davis has a, um, a career high in 25 points. We're talking about yeah. Terrence Davis a lot more than I thought we would in this podcast, <laughs> but I really like that uh, that example of uh, just his genius. Cool. Okay. Well, you know, I hate to sound like I'm agreeing with everything you're saying, but yeah, we have Nick Nurse, Coach of the Year, and then Eric Spolstra and Billy Donovan as the runner-up. Okay, this is where I think we may 
um, disagree on, but we'll see. Because uh, I kind of picked a player, kind of not not like a traditional player that would win it, but I um, I want to see where your heads with this. So most improved player of the year. Um, I have the three candidates in Bam Adebayo, uh, Luka Doncic, and Brandon Ingram. So who did you have as your MIP? Yeah, I like those candidates. Um, definitely picked mine out of those. And I picked, I picked Brandon Ingram. And the reason being is he really impressed me with how he played in New Orleans after everything that he's gone through in LA. And coming out as a rookie and getting KD comparisons is not an easy thing to live up to. And playing with some of the guys that he's had to play with is not easy to do. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, not easy playing with guys like that. And it's very demanding, actually. So people started to lose confidence in him. People started to lose hope in him and basically thought that he could never be the focal point of an offense. But he really wasn't given the opportunity until now in New Orleans. And I thought he's done a really good job uh, playing the same amount of minutes year after year, around 30, 33 minutes. He is now um, better in every statistical category this year. And he's not doing it at the fault of a team. You know, he's not doing it at the cost of a team. He's not you know, becoming a volume shooter. He's actually more efficient in his shooting than he has been in previous years. Um, and New Orleans, you know, given a few more games and, and Zion returning, they probably would have been the eighth seed. And I think a lot of their success gets attributed to uh, to Brandon Ingram. I like what the future holds for that team. I like that combination of Brandon Ingram and um, and Zion Williamson. So I think the sky is the limit for that guy. I think you know as he continues to play like this, his confidence will go up, and it's really hard to tell with that guy how good he's going to be because he has so many different levels that he can reach just with his intangibles, being seven feet, such a high wingspan. Um, or sorry, long wingspan. So yeah, I'm excited about that guy. He's definitely most improved in my eyes. Um, my runner up was none of the two that you mentioned. It wasn't Bam. Bam had a really good year, but I believe that a contributing factor to that was the increased minutes that he got. Like he's now doubled his minutes. So the reason why I like Ingram's, uh, you know, Ingram's uh, vote is because you know, he's within the same minutes year after year after year. He's just excelled so much. And with, with Bam, I think he's like averaging 15 to 20 more minutes a game. So it gives him room to sort of do what people thought he could already do. Um, my runner-up is the birthday boy. It's the go-daddy goat. It's Norman Powell. Ooh. <laughs> and oh, uh, okay. Okay. yeah, man, five years. He's been telling us, understand the grind. <laughs> and... I love like I love when a veteran player makes a leap because after playing so many years in the league, it shows that they still have work ethic. They still have perseverance, determination. And I think Norm's that guy. Um, you know, he's had a really good year followed by a really bad year. And I don't think either last year or the year before, um, I thought that was it for him. I thought that, you know, going forward, we're not going to get much out of him. And I always thought that he was a candidate for the trading block. But um, he's always stuck around our team. And he's, he's playing at an all-time high right now. What I really liked about him this year is he's doubled his scoring. But, man, this guy's gotten injured like four times. Um, yeah, that's he was, the only thing. That's the only thing that's dragging him down. He's, he's yeah. had such a phenomenal year. But, like, in December, he was on fire. He got injured, picks up where he's left off, um, breaks his finger, uh, returns, starts playing really well again, turns his ankle. So, I mean... Um, yeah, he's, he's been playing consistently when he's on the floor. So, um, just a fan of it. I got to, you know, we've seen him year after year and to see him sort of, uh, take a leap this late in his career, uh, I've just been pretty impressed. So I don't have Brandon Ingram or Norm Powell as my winner or runner up. Uh, but I'll speak on, to speak on those two players before I get into mine, um, with Brandon Ingram, um, yeah, I re- I really like him as a player. He's such a smooth player. He's he's a re- he's just a light version of KD. Um, maybe not as good defensively, because um, he's a little more he's he's a little slower. He's not gonna like really beat you off the dribble. He's just lengthy. If he can get a little stronger, 
uh, upper body wise and battle through the contact. Um, yeah, it, the sky's the limit for him. He's has he's averaging twenty four six and four, and he's playing with Lonzo Ball, probably one of the best passers in the league, who's gonna put him in the right position. And then he has, um, yeah, you, like you said, like you said, Zion Williamson, who's gonna track double triple teams. So this guy's gonna have it pretty good. He's in a really good position, uh, and that team ha- does have a really uh, good future if they if they can provide shooting around those guys and complement uh, their skill sets. I really like the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, again, Norman Powell, we've seen him grow uh, from from a kid playing at UCLA. Um, you know, getting the the title of uh, playoff uh, Powell. You know, he always comes out clutch in the first or second round when you really need him to, uh, making big shots. And this is the first year where he's able to put everything together. Like he scored a, he's he's had multiple thirty plus point games. Uh, kind of being that um, scoring punch off the bench that you need. He could even be a six-man-of-the-year candidate when you when you really look at it. The only thing that's, you know, dragging him down uh, is, is all the injuries. Like, he'd have, like, a 30-point game and then, like, dislocate his shoulder or something or, like, hurt his wrist after, like, a big game. So he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And um, unfortunately for him, that, that takes him out of my runner-up um, award here. But for my winner... Uh, for the MIP, and it's not tradi- traditional to pick a second-year player, but I think the leap that Luka Doncic has taken is just next level. Like he's probably going to be an All First Team All NBA player um, if they do give out awards, and stellar first year rookie of the year, um, almost almost ad- ad- average a triple double and this guy is now 29 9 and 9 which is just insane. Uh, he's leading the Mavs to the best offense in the league with I don't know who do you have Seth Curry, uh Dwight Powell, um Tim Hardaway, uh you know guys that you really don't think are elite offensive players, but he has that playmaking skill. He's big enough to rebound with the bigs and he's just such a fun player to watch. Um, I would say probably my favorite young player in the league um, right now, just just because of you know the perception perception that they had of him in the Euro League. This guy won all the awards, had all the accolades, and they still picked Marvin Bagley ahead of ahead of him. So you know the perception is there, but you know good on the the Mavs for picking up a generational talent. I think he will be an MVP candidate. You know, he was an MVP candidate this year. And um, I think he, he's really deserving of this uh, MIP award. And I think, um, yeah, it, it goes with him. And my runner-up is Bam. I think we've mentioned it a bunch of, uh, his name a bunch of times in the last few podcasts, how I think he's having a very similar season to Siakam, like Siakam had last year, where he doubled his points, doubled his rebounds. You know, the assist, name, assist numbers came up. Obviously, in... In, an increase in minutes but if you're able to keep those averages up with those minutes um, then you're doing a good job you're being effective right you're not you're not getting tired you're not sh- shooting poorly um, and again he has elite defense uh, on his side too so um, he was my runner-up just because of how well the Miami Heat are playing and a lot of my awards I brought I considered or I brought in the uh, the fact that either the team was winning or Plus that he had good individual stats. So he is my runner for the year. Yeah, no, I like Luka Doncic a lot. And I think the case for him, it's not your average leap because usually we celebrate a player that, you know, goes from mediocrity to maybe fringe or all-star level. Like that's something to really um, celebrate. But Luka Doncic is going from like all like fringe all-star level level last year to, like you said, an MVP this year. And I think that's an even harder leap, in my opinion. Yeah, like that's the hardest leap that's from going from, leap from going from good to great. You know, I think that's the hardest leap. Exactly. So um, yeah, I actually I have Luca in my in my first first team All NBA. Spoiler alert! But yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Got to agree with Gotta that. <laughs> All right, um, moving on to Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, the three candidates that I had again, you could you may have different three, but I had Giannis, I had Anthony Davis, 
and I had Mr. COVID himself, Rudy Gobert. Um, what is your prediction looking like? Yeah, I mean, you got to give it to Mr. COVID. He's always there. Like, he's always in talks. Don't get me wrong. But um, I think this year it goes to Giannis. And, you know, the only players to win Defensive Player of the Year and MVP in the same season are MJ and Hakeem. Mm-hmm. And I think that Giannis is on pace for that spoiler alert this year. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, according to Bleacher Report, the Bucks are in the 99th percentile for points allowed per 100 possessions uh, when he's on the court. And I think that's something... Uh, really special and something that you need to consider. He's also third in the league in blocks. And you just give him the eye test, man. He's the biggest guy on the court nine times out of ten. And he protects the rim, but he's also gotten better at his wing defense and jumping the passing lanes and intercepting the basketball. Um, I think that as long as he's on the floor and as long as he's on the rim, he makes it extremely difficult for players to score because he just intimidates you, right? Um, and I, so I think that he's just taken a leap forward this year with his determination on the defensive end. Um, I think that he's trying really hard to make that a focal point of his game because I think he's going for that Kobe, MJ, Hakeem level. That's what he's aspiring to be. And I think that this uh, award is just a part of his journey into greatness. My runner-up uh, was AD. AD has a little bit of that Giannis in him. Very uh, good defensive rebounder. Very intimidating when he's around the rim. But, you know, the Bucs are the best team in the league. They've just been steamrolling teams all season. And I think a large part of that is uh, the commitment that Giannis has made on the defensive end. Shit. Okay, well, again, we have the same winner and runner-up. Uh, but again, I think this is, like, majority of the a majority of... The media members would have had the same results here. Giannis, um, I think there's not much more to be said here. Milwaukee is the best defensive team in the league. He is their best defensive player. And I don't want to get into too many advanced stats, but he he leads the league in individual defensive rating, defensive win share, and defensive box plus minus. Um, Basically just different ways to analyze defensive players. Um, and he's the best at that, um, uh, at, 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 yeah, at those, uh, those ratings. So he definitely, I think, wins this um, by a mile. And I also have AD coming in second. Um, you know, AD's always had that defensive side to him, even when he was at Kentucky. Uh, I believe he blocked like five, five blocks per game um, in, in his uh, uh, freshman year with, with Kentucky. Uh, resulting in a championship with them. And then, again, he's always been a um, a monster defensively. He just hasn't been able to consistently stay on the, on the, on the court with his injuries. So he hasn't never had a, you know, a full 80-82 game uh, season to really um, be considered for Defensive Player of the Year. But uh, he's always in the running, and he's made a big leap with the, the Lakers, them being a top-five defensive team uh, with LeBron and... Um, yeah, he's he's gonna be a a top three defensive player for a really long time, and I wouldn't be surprised if um, AD is in the conversation uh, next year and the, or the year after. Yeah, no, I have to agree. All right, so let's finish off with uh, MVP, and then we can go into our first, second, and third team um, All NBA. So MVP for this year, again, I I don't think it's really that close. Um, I have. Either LeBron James, Giannis, and I reluctantly threw in James Harden there. Um, I was going to put in Luka too, but, you know, just give my Adidas boy some love here. Uh, so, Nav, who do you have as the MVP for this season here? Yeah, I got to agree. You know, it wasn't close, and I think it just started getting close towards uh, just after Christmas break when the Lakers uh, beat the Clippers. LeBron and the Lakers were starting to uh, make their way up the Western Conference standings and they were, you know, number one in the West. I feel like people just had to create some sort of debate because usually there is a debate and, you know, they need something to talk about 
a lot of these <laughs> TV shows, right? So yeah, I'm sure I think that's why they sort of manufactured this uh, Giannis versus LeBron debate. But it goes to Giannis. Um, and I don't think it's worth arguing. Uh, a lot of people will say, you know, well, which team is worse off without the other player? And I don't think uh, that argument is very fair because I think the MVP is always a player that's indispensable to their team when they're not there. And both Giannis and LeBron are that. And LeBron has been that for as long as he's been in the NBA. He'll always be a runner-up um, or in the top five of MVP discussions, uh, no matter what. But this year, it's Giannis. You know, they're the best team in the league. Like I said, they've been steamrolling every team all season, um, consistently, habitually. And a lot of that is just because of the consistent play of Giannis offensively, and like we were talking about, defensively, because he's decided now that he wants defense to be a part of his legacy and what he's known for, and he's doing it at a all-NBA level. So I just think that he's the clear favorite, and uh, they have the best record in the NBA. And, you know, yeah, Giannis Antetokounmpo, 2020 MVP. It's, uh, it's amazing uh, because I used to watch... Um, or I used to be really involved with like Draft Express and the international players and the collegiate players that would be coming to the league. And I remember um, seeing this guy's name. Um, he was playing in the second second league in Greek, or in Greece, sorry. And he was just a skinny 17, 18-year-old kid. And the Milwaukee Bucks, um, you know, just took a, took a risk with them with the 15th pick uh, in that year's draft. I know Masai had his eye on him too. And I know there's stories that um, he wanted to uh, trade up to draft Giannis, but I heard um, he still has his eyes on him. <laughs> yeah, man, we'll see 2021. But yeah, pretty incredible the journey that he's taken um, with him and his two two younger brothers, and he has another brother that's in high school that will probably make the league. So just you know, incredible journey for that family having three three of their boys in the league and this one being the best um, in the world at what he does. And, you know, you can't really can't really say say much more about Giannis. This guy is as dominant as Shaq was in the early 2000s, just kind of a different version of it. This, he's just like a yeah guard version of Shaq. Um, his averages are 30, 14, and 6, which are insane. And being the best defensive player on the best defensive team, and being the best defense or offensive player on the best offensive team too, uh, or, or like the top three offensive team, uh, it, it says a lot. And this guy's a hard worker. Um, he, you know, he's 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 known for his work ethic now, and he's just really the sky is the limit for this guy. He's he's gonna be insanely good when he peaks in three four years, and then who knows with his length and uh, athletic ability how far he's gonna be able to um, continue his career. Right, so. Um, we're looking at probably a top five player when it's all said and done, and you never know if this guy is able to win um, defensive and MVP player of the year. Um, then, then really, it's going to be a discussion when uh, when it's all said and done that he could be possibly the goat. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. Right? And the, yeah, the scary thing with Giannis is that there's still things that he can add to his game. Um, you know, he, this is a regular season award. He's had a phenomenal regular season, like we said. He's playing like an MVP offensively and defensively. But there are still aspects of his game that a team could expose in the playoffs in a seven-game series. And it's just a part of his learning curve. This guy has areas in his game that can still get better, which is scary to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And when you have, like, no disrespect to Chris Middleton, um, really good player and, like, deserving all-star. But when you have him and... I would say Bledsoe as your third best player. Um, that's not a great supporting cast. I know they have a good coach. They have a good system. But, um, again, he's not a great perimeter player. And they just need to find a guy that can get buckets when you need him to. He, you know, obviously, he's a, he's a alpha male. He's a 1A player. But if you can find a, um, you know, a elite shooter or another two-guard who, who can kind of take that focus off him and play make then it would open a little more of the floor up for him and he could expand his game a little more there too um but yeah mvp for this season and you know second uh second in two years and probably won't be his last 
Yeah, no, oh, okay. absolutely. Yeah, my runner, like, other than Giannis, it had to be LeBron. Uh, but yeah. my runner-up was actually Kyle Lowry. <laughs> no, uh, you know, I laugh about that, but legit, he... he okay, just he, stop he's now. He's the best player on the third best team. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I give, I give Kyle Lowry some respect on the All-NBA team, but um, let's go through the first team All-NBA and do you want me to go first on this and give you what uh, my my top five are? Yeah, let's just list them you, off. Sure. So in the in the two guard positions, I have Luka Doncic and James Harden. Uh, the two forward positions, I have uh, LeBron James and Giannis. And then in the center spot, I have Anthony Davis. I like it. Um, let me just see here. Where's my list? Yeah, uh, two guard positions. I also have uh, Luka Doncic and James Harden. Uh, Forwards, LeBron and Giannis. Center, Anthony Davis. We haven't talked too much about James Harden in our our pod. I know we we talked about his playoff um, performances or lack thereof. But this guy's still averaging 34 points per game with probably the most ball-dominant point guard possibly in history, like the guy that has the most usage um, in NBA history. And he's still playing at a very high like high level. Like, man, who the f- how, how can he score 34 points? Remember how last year he scored, all, like, he went off last year and he only averaged 36 last year. And now he's still at, he's, he's really just below that by a bucket. He's still averaging the same amount of assists and rebounds. And I think just because um, Westbrook's took a, taken a, bench, uh, a bit of the attention away from him, and kind of the small ball is getting a lot of the media attention. Um, that, you know, his, his game isn't being highlighted as much. But I just want to say that he's, he's averaging 34 points per game, which is nuts. No, I agree. And if you think about it, earlier this season, a lot of teams, I forget who started it, but one team started doing it, then every other team started following suit. They weren't getting a lot of Westbrook at the, at the time. you got to remember, uh, Westbrook only started averaging over you know, 55% from the field after the Christmas break. So for a good part of the season, almost half of the season, teams were doubling Harden right away, like right as soon as he crossed half. And they were just saying, okay, Westbrook, it's all on you. And Westbrook was putting up these horrendous shots. But (laughs) but despite that, teams double, triple teaming this guy. Um, He's still averaging 34 points per game. And and they're, they're still a playoff team. And... They overhauled, you know, their entire offensive approach and defensive approach with the small ball in the middle of the season. And again, it would have been really cool to see what the Houston Rockets look like by the end of the season. But regardless, they would have still been a playoff team as they are year after year after year. And this guy still would have been averaging over 33 points. Yeah, 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 it's it's crazy. And yeah, I just want to give a shout out to to James Harden because I don't think we we've talking or we've spoken enough about him. So just wanted to highlight a guy that kind of is going under the low radar, even though he's dropping 34 a game. Um, my second team, all NBA uh, for my two guards position. I have Kyle Lowry and Chris Paul. My two four positions. I have Kawhi Leonard and Jason Tatum. And at my center spot, I have uh, Nikola Jokic. Yeah, no, I like it. Uh, my two guards were Kyle Lowry and Chris Paul as well. Nice. My forwards were Kawhi Leonard and Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. And my center was Nikola Jokic. Yeah, I, I initially had Chris Middleton in there too. I thought he was obviously, obviously deserving of uh, an all-NBA team, but I just like the jump that Jason Tatum's taken, that, that leap forward um, being you know a young star now into a top 10, top 15 player in the league. And um, yeah, with without Ky- uh, Kyrie on the team now, he's kind of the, the go-to guy to, uh, to score down uh, in the final minutes. Um, and he, I saw him play when, when he came to Portland and he fucking crushed him. And he, his game is so smooth. I think he has probably the one, one of the smoothest games in the, in the league. And, um, he makes it look effortless, and I think this guy's still like 22 or something, 22, 23, and um, you know he obviously in his rookie season they 
they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, without Kyrie uh, down year last year, and he's really taken that fort that step forward um, after after a disappointing sophomore season. He's only nineteen. <laughs> no, I, I think that that's definitely a good pick. I just just with the success of Milwaukee, um, they just I I believe that Chris Milton just due to the how much that team is winning, he gets a second team nod uh, because he's been so integral in their regular season success, playing or sort of relieving some of that pressure off Giannis. Uh, I originally actually had Damian Lillard in that first guard spot, but there's no way that. You know, with the amount that Portland has won and the fact that they weren't even going to be a playoff team this year, which was mm-hmm. super surprising to me, given, um, given you know, that they have Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. I had to give it to Lowry. You know, he's accomplished too much in his career. Um, to, he's played so many different roles, put on so many different hats from that, for that team. And for them to be second place, led by him, it could have been very easy for him to grow frustrated with this group, but he's bought into Nick Nurse's system. He's playing with a lot of young guys. He's develop, helping to develop a lot of these guys, and he's playing at a really high clip on a second-place yeah. team in the Eastern Conference, so had to give it to him over Damian Lillard. Cool. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Um, also, Jokic, slow start, but he's playing, again, at, another, at a very high level. He was a first-team All-NBA last year. He's again twenty ten and seven, so this guy's clo- like as a center. He's averaging seven assists. I'm not sure where that where that ranks uh, in the NBA, but that's got to be like top top ten, top fifteen maybe for a center. Um, so he, yeah, he's playing really well. Denver again is um, playing really really well with with a young core there, and he's he's the lead candidate or uh, catalyst for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like he. He's the only reason why the Nuggets aren't getting swept or potentially not getting swept by the Clippers in that first round, should they play. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so third team All-NBA. I got at my guard spot Damian Lillard and Jimmy Butler. My two forward spots, I got Chris Middleton and Pascal Siakam. And my center spot, I got Rudy Gobert. Oh, I like that uh, Jimmy Butler pick. I got Damian Lillard and Ben Simmons. I got Jason Tatum and Pascal Siakam in the forward positions. And then I got Rudy Gobert as well at center. But I um, wish uh, I wish I took Jimmy Butler over Ben Simmons now. <laughs> yeah, so for my first guard uh, spot there, Damian Lillard, even though they are not a playoff team, you gotta understand that they lost Nurkic, um, they lost Zach Collins uh, for the majority of the year, and um, who did they who did they trade away? Um, the Chief, what's his name? He's uh, is he with the Clippers now? Um, I forget his name. He's uh, he's at Lake the Guard, the three spot for them. Oh. Um... Oh, uh, yeah. I know exactly uh, who you're talking about. Uh, Minu. Uh, Al Farouk Aminu. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Fuck. But yeah, uh, they lost him. And he was, a, he was a big part of their team last year when they, uh, when they made it to the Western Commerce Finals. Um, so yeah, da- man, for six games uh, at the, uh, at the uh, tail end of January, this, this, these were his scoring numbers, okay? 61. 47, 50, 36, 48, 51. He averaged 49 points per game through six games. That's like similar to Kobe's like 50 whatever, 50 point uh, burst in like those 10 games that he had in like whatever that that trash season that the Lakers uh, put together where they had like Smush Smush Parker and like Kwame Brown and this guy had to like put the entire team on his back. Uh, But that... That stretch was really fun to watch where, um, yeah, he just had a incredible six-game stretch and just really reeled that team to, uh, on his back when they were looking for wins, when they were struggling really hard. And, yeah, they're still, in, like, they're still technically in the playoff hunt. They're, I think they're tied with New Orleans 
for the ninth spot um, or a game back there. Uh, so just had to give him give it to him uh, with a third team nod just because of how he how well he played. Um, he's probably the only guy that is on a below 500 team on on my top uh, 15 uh, spots here. And then Pascal, uh, give him a shout out. This guy took another big step forward. Um, him and Jason Tatum, I think, are like on the same level uh, of kind of star power right now. Even Jason, or uh, even though Jason Tatum is a little younger, I believe he's two, three, two, three years younger. Uh, but Pascal again, always taking that uh, big leap forward, and I'm really excited to see what happens next year if he's able to again maybe not score as much, but play better defense, be a better playmaker, and maybe rebound a little better. I know he's. He could probably be a better rebounder. If you can stay at, a, at around 24, 25 points per game, shoot efficiently uh, from the three, and that's at, at the charity stripe, and just continue to be that defensive beast that he is, um, he's going to be a top 15 player for a really long time. Yeah, I think the, the obstacle for Siakam's game, and I believe pretty strongly that we were going to see this in the playoffs, is uh, there were times in the regular season where teams were persistently double-teaming him. And he was getting really frustrated. He wasn't able to sort of uh, shake and shimmy and get his get his you know usual shots off. And um, I believe that you know same thing was going to happen in the playoffs. I think a big stepping stone for him is going to be how he plays out of the double team, how he scores out of them, how he passes out of them, just how he, his decision making out of them. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's definitely the the next big step for him as as a lead guy offensively. He probably will never be a lead guy on a on a championship team. He'll be what he was last year, where a 20-plus point scorer, uh, a defensive juggernaut, and a guy that can play make from the forward position, right? Yeah. Uh, so he'll hope... I don't, uh, you never know. He was also a guy that averaged like six, seven points per game his rookie year, and two, three years later, this is where he's at. So I'm not going to put a ceiling on him. Um, you know, he's gonna, he, he might surprise us with like another big step forward, but... Uh, I have some honorable mentions here uh, that didn't make the team either because of their team's performance or some injuries or just, you know, just barely didn't didn't make the top 15. So I had Ben Simmons, Paul George, Joel Embiid, Russell Westbrook, and Kemba Walker as the next five in line. And, you know, sucks. And good things we good thing we don't have any 76ers fans listening, but Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are playing well below what we expect of them. These two are supposed to be, you know, the the next big duo. And it's just uh, unfortunate that they haven't been able to put together a um, a strong team together. And it's just because of the way they play. Um, even with the the sharpshooting that they have around them, um, they just not aren't able to get on the same page. As kind of the one A one B type players, uh, Paul George um, hurt a little bit this year. Um, what Russell Westbrook was probably my sixteenth guy there. I was going to pick him ahead of Damian Lillard because of the stretch that he had um, after the All Star break, or sorry, after uh, the Christmas break. But he did have a per- pretty terrible first half, so he didn't make my cut there. And then Kemba Walker, um, I think putting Jason Tatum on there. Uh, kind of hurt Kemba Walker's chances of being uh, on one of these All NBA teams, uh, but yeah, those are kind of the top fifteen and top twenty players uh, in the league for me as of today. Yeah, Embiid. Uh, he, I never had the intent of putting him on any of these three teams, but after sort of writing out these names, I did reflect. I was kind of like, yeah, it's sad that this guy's not even in the talks. I think the ship might be sailing for him. Unless he just plays entirely different without Ben Simmons, because I do believe that they're going to have to get rid of one of them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He's just not there, like at that uh, mature maturity level yet. He's not take, just not taking things seriously. He's just. I feel like everything is a little game to him right now. Uh, but he has the potential to be MVP, man. That's how good and skilled and talented he is for a seven seven footer. And mm-hmm. there's not many seven footers that can move like him. Uh, that can play defense like him, uh, and he's a total game changer. If he doesn't settle for those threes and just sits on the block and just try to be dominant like Shaq was, he, he you don't need this guy to be taking 
jump shots and do doing euro steps. Just get him in the post. Um, obviously, you want to spread the floor a little bit, so you put shooters around him. But your team should be re- like revolved around him, not making him a piece uh, around Ben Simmons. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I totally agree. He's got the foot injury, which definitely concerns me when you're seven feet tall. And I honestly think of I think of Boogie a lot when I think of Embiid. He's not as much of a cancer in the locker room like Boogie was with his in his Sacramento days. But I both I think that they both had the ability to be extremely dominant down in the post, um, and they just weren't able to live up to their expectations. Cool. Well, that was a really fun little segment there. Got a bunch of players mentioned and gave them these fun hypothetical awards that you know that we're we're uh, we're giving out. But um, any last words, Nav, before we close out? No, this is this was super fun. Again, we just want to thank all our listeners, everyone that's tuning in, uh, whether it's just briefly or for the full episodes. We definitely appreciate it. And Tuan and I will continue to think up some some hypothetical uh, scenarios that we can talk about. And hopefully in the next coming weeks, we get some good news about the league resuming, which will also help us give you give you more content as well. Yeah, there's some news that potentially there's going to be a top 16 playoff bracket, something that the NBA hasn't ever done before. But, you know, that's just some, some words and news uh, that are coming out of the Twitterverse. So we'll see what happens there. But thank you again for listening. And... Um, We will see you in our next episode as we recap episode 9 and 10 of The Last Dance and give our final thoughts on the series that, um, you know, we're intertwined with our lives for the the last five five weeks. Um, Sad that it's ending, but uh, we will do a nice recap for you guys. So uh, tune in to our next episode and we will catch you later.